Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Just eight days ago, the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology opened up in Jerusalem. Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Flurry flew there, and he gave a speech at the grand opening, along with Professor Uzi Liebner, and Let the Stones Speak magazine managing editor Brad McDonald. He introduced the two main speakers And he thanked all the people involved with making this possible. It was quite a busy summer for Herbert W. Armstrong College students as they excavated for about a month under the guidance of Professor Liebner. And they were up on the O'Fell. And so at the grand opening, Professor Liebner talked about what they discovered on the O'Fell. And he is under the impression that the Armstrong students are basically miracle workers. It's almost like they discover things at an unprecedented pace, even in just a month's time. They're finding things that maybe other archaeologists wouldn't discover in years of excavating. It really is remarkable how much was accomplished in just a short, month-long summer dig. So Professor Liebner talked for about 20 minutes at this grand opening, and then Mr. Gerald Flurry spoke for about 20 to 25 minutes as well. This building is in an outstanding location in a nice neighborhood in Jerusalem. It is basically on the corner of two large streets with a big roundabout in the middle. And diagonally across from that roundabout is the Belgian embassy. Also nearby are the residences of the Israeli president and prime minister. A lot of people walk by on the way to work or just on the way to enjoy some of the nearby attractions. And so it is a prime location. A lot of people, a lot of Jews will walk by this new Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology, and they will want to check in on it. They will want to see what it's all about. The Institute will offer free tours of the near, nearby excavation sites. There will be presentations and videos. There is a library of thousands of books about half of which were donated by the late archaeologist Dr. Alatmazar, with whom we worked for about 15 years. And then the other half of those books were donated by Hebrew University. So this is a really outstanding library. Some pretty interesting titles in there as well, by the way. I got to go through that library and take a look. There (laughs) There was a book in there basically a dictionary of American slang terms. (laughs) So probably some Jews would be pretty interested in in figuring out what we're talking about, (laughs) the way we say certain things. 
and just a lot of books about history, archaeology, the Bible, interesting subjects like that. I think there was a, a book about, I uh, forget the major heroic figure of the past, but asking the question whether he was a Jew. So a lot of books that really make you think. It was quite an epic trip. Mr. Flurry invited uh, my wife and I to go along, and that was really exciting. We, we flew out on September 1st. Uh, Mr. Gerald Flurry and his wife and Mr. Stephen Flurry. And then I got to take my, my whole family, so our two kids as well. And then uh, Brett and Paris Roberts, that's my brother-in-law and my sister. We all flew out on September 1st and, and flew to Birmingham, England by 10 that night. And we were only there for about five, six hours at Edstone Hall. That is the sister campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College located in England. I was able to sleep about five hours out of the six hours we were there. So that, <laughs> that was a real blessing. I don't know if anyone else on that trip was able to sleep even nearly that long. But I think that quick turnaround really did help with the jet lag and being tired from that trip already. And then having such a short night of sleep uh, in England, it made it a lot easier to fall asleep once we got to Jerusalem the next day. But then at five in the morning or so, maybe six in the morning, we were off to Tel Aviv, Israel. My father came along, Mr. Richard Palmer as well. Mr. Palmer did a lot of work at the Institute setting up security cameras and other technology. My mother, who lives at Edstone, insisted on keeping my children for the entire trip, which I, I repeatedly tried to warn her how tiring that would be. My daughter is five. My son is two. They like to run around. They have high energy. But my mom insisted multiple times, and so... My kids stayed in England during the Jerusalem trip. We got to the airport in Tel Aviv. We landed on September 2nd, around 2 in the afternoon. Mr. Brad McDonald and also Brent Noctegal picked us up from the airport. And it's about an hour or so drive from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And once we got to Jerusalem, of course, we stopped at the Institute and toured it. Basically, it is this prime, beautiful location, like I mentioned before. There's a small courtyard, and once you get through that, you go up the steps. There's a small balcony out there, and then you go through the narrow double doors into a larger main room. And around this main room, there's probably five or six rooms to the right, all the way to the back, to the left as well. Um, these rooms hold the library, they are office spaces. And then on the left side of that room, there is a staircase that goes up to the residential area. That's where Jude Flurry and Samuel McCoy are living right now. And also last week, Christopher Eames and his family moved in there too. So probably, as you know, Brent Noctegal and Christopher Eames work for the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology. They do a lot of writing for the Let the Stones Speak magazine. They have the podcast by the same name as well. 
and they're they're very much involved every time we are a part of an archaeological excavation. So we toured the Institute. It is gorgeous. There is a large portrait of Herbert W. Armstrong and a large portrait of Dr. Elat Mazar on the walls in the main room. There is a massive painting of the city of Jerusalem and the wall around that city uh, during the time of King David. And that was painted by Julia Goddard, one of our art department staff members here. There's just beautiful artwork all over the Institute. Now there wasn't enough room for everyone to stay at the Institute, but my wife and I got to live up there on the, on the top floor the entire time, which made everything extremely convenient. That's where we held Sabbath services. That's where the grand opening was. Of course, that's where everyone came for uh, group dinners and such. So we were blessed to just be right upstairs from where all the action was taking place. Other people stayed at the Eames residence or the Noctegal residence as well. Basically, once we got to the Institute or wherever we would be staying, everyone just relaxed for a few hours. And then we had a Friday night dinner out there on that small balcony at the Institute. Sabbath services the next day, including uh, brunch before that at the Noctegal's home. We all went to dinner at the Eames home that night. And uh, there were... As part of our group, there were seven small children, and that didn't even include mine. There would have been nine if, if they had come along, but there were seven small children. So we adults took turns watching the children in the living room while everyone else was out on their balcony enjoying dinner together. So they wanted me to tell them stories. They would say, okay, tell, tell us a story about a dinosaur, a princess, a castle, and a cheetah, and also a fast car. And so I would tell them a story, and I must have told them eight or ten stories in a row. And never, they never really got tired of it. Then I taught them the game of Duck, Duck, Goose. This was Saturday night by this point. They all sat on the floor. And if you can imagine uh, four little children plus me, sitting in a circle. The children are no older than six. Actually, most of them are much younger than that. And we're, we're just chasing each other around. Now, the three youngest children uh, couldn't participate in this. That's why there were only four. But, but I taught them the game of Duck, Duck, Goose. That was a lot of fun. That night, September 3rd, we got, we got to go to First Station, which is basically an old, I believe, German train station that has been converted into a bunch of restaurants and other uh, tourist attractions. There was, there was group dancing going on in a big circle, just a bunch of Jews rejoicing on a Saturday night. And it was extremely tempting to jump in, but I actually didn't know any of the dances they were doing. It's amazing. They must've gone through at least 10 different dances and they all knew them, but I didn't recognize a single one. On September 4th, we went to the Shook or the market, which is basically a huge outdoor market and you can just walk along and I guess they expect you to barter. I never really had the nerve to try that. My wife loved the market. To me, it's just glorified shopping, so not my favorite thing to do. But also on that morning, September 4th, Mr. and Mrs. Flurry 
toured the Ophel dig site with Professor Liebner. And so he showed them what they had accomplished during the month-long summer dig. That night, September 4th, Sunday, was the grand opening of the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology. And like I said, Mr. McDonald introduced it, and then Professor Liebner and then Mr. Fleury spoke. I thought Mr. Fleury had a wonderful approach in his message because obviously it was a mix of people. There were about 30 subscribers to the Let the Stone Speak magazine, but then there were a lot of other people as well. There were some prominent journalists and archaeologists and intellectuals there. It was a mix of people. And so Mr. Fleury repeatedly emphasized that he understands we all have different beliefs. Everyone here has different beliefs. And he, he wanted to make sure that they understood he was just providing some history for them to think about. He wasn't trying to force them to believe a certain way. He was just talking about our predecessor, the late Herbert W. Armstrong, and how he had a lot of really impactful, close relationships with the leaders of Israel the nation called Israel. And isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how all these leaders of one nation met with Mr. Armstrong? Mr. Armstrong supported archaeology in Israel too, but he wasn't just there for archaeology. Archaeology uncovers the Bible, and the Bible reveals the way to peace, world peace. And the thing that Mr. Fleury was bringing out in his speech was that these leaders wanted to hear Mr. Armstrong's solution. They wanted to know what he thought about world peace and how world peace would come. That is fascinating history, regardless of what our beliefs about it might be. So Mr. Fleury just showed the Jews in attendance that this is part of their own history. This relationship between Mr. Armstrong and their own national leaders. It really was just an incredible institute opening. And people stayed for hours afterward to, to talk, to enjoy some snacks on the balcony. Uh, it seemed like a lot of people were really excited. Now, it is good timing for this institute to open the the founder really, or the, at least the, the manager of biblical archeology span review, a prominent magazine, uh, Herschel Shanks recently died. And it does seem as though maybe that magazine has, has taken a change of direction since his death. One of the visitors said that after Herschel Shanks died, she switched over to reading Let the Stones Speak instead of Biblical Archaeology Review. That's pretty exciting. She said how they made a point to make sure that in one of their Biblical Archaeology Review issues, every single writer of every single article was a woman. So, you know, just to, just to prove a point, just to show how tolerant and progressive they are. They made sure that every writer of one issue was a woman. And she was just trying to tell us how she doesn't care who writes the article. She just wants to read good stuff about biblical archaeology. She doesn't want to be 
virtue signaled to. And so she has come to the right place. She has come to the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology for some real answers. She's come to let the stones speak for some real truth and substance about archaeology and about the way that the Bible can impact archaeology. Now, there is a really nice article in the first ever issue of Let the Stone Speak, January, February 2022. This is a magazine uh, basically carrying on from Watch Jerusalem. It was rebranded. And in this, in this issue, Mr. Fleury wrote an article, Why We Are Starting a Biblical Archaeology Institute. He said, sadly, the field of biblical archaeology today is fraught with controversy and tension. Scientists and scholars are divided about the role of the Bible in archaeology and whether it should even be used when excavating in Israel. Too often, the archaeologist who uses the Bible is labeled a religious zealot and his science is considered prejudiced. Many believe that science and the Bible are mutually exclusive that using the Bible as a historical source makes science illegitimate. Not only is this view false, it is unscientific. The truth is, good archaeology considers all the evidence, including the detailed history documented in the Bible, and goes where the evidence leads. It is also true that good Bible research means proving and testing what you study. Mr. Flurry just is pointing out that Bible and the science can coexist. In fact, they do coexist. Science is true and the Bible is true. Now, obviously, when I say science is true, I'm talking about real science, honest science, actually proving claims true instead of just pushing an agenda. Mr. Flurry wrote, last September, managing editor Brad McDonald attended an archaeology conference in New Mexico. At the conference, Dr. William Dever, a highly esteemed scholar in the field, delivered a lecture in which he lamented the deteriorating state of biblical archaeology, especially in America. Dr. Dever relayed how universities are shuttering archaeology programs, how key positions in archaeology departments are vacant and not being filled, how students are losing interest in the field, and how some archaeology institutes have lost their identity. That is disturbing. There is a clear void here, Mr. Flurry is showing us. There is a void in the field of biblical archaeology that must be filled. He continues, From what I can tell, the field of biblical archaeology is, is experiencing an identity crisis. Unless something changes soon, this crucial field of study will vanish. After years of consideration, I feel compelled to do what I can to stop this gloomy trend. That is what... The Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology is all about. You can go to armstronginstitute.org and fill your mind with some beautiful articles. There is, of course, the Let the Stone Speak publication and, and podcast. And there are a lot of dig site reports 
published by Dr. Mazar. And you can purchase those on the website as well. But really, it, it will make the Bible come alive to you. We got to tour the City of David dig site and the Ophel dig site on September 5th. So last Monday, Brett Noctegall toured us through the City of David for about an hour and a half. And then Christopher Eames toured us through the Ophel for about another hour and a half. And then we went through Hezekiah's Tunnel. That is living proof of the Bible. A 1,750-foot passageway connecting the Gihon Spring and the Pool of Siloam. Hezekiah carved this tunnel as he was being invaded by Assyria. The nation of Judah was under attack in the 8th century BC, and they needed to divert the water inside the city walls. And that way the Assyrians couldn't drink the water either. This was crucial to the survival of the Jews. And there has been artifact after artifact discovered, proving the existence of the ancient King Hezekiah. This is one prime example of how the Bible and the science can coexist. They affirm each other. Mr. Flurry writes, wouldn't it be unscientific and prejudiced if in our analysis of the Hezekiah Bulla, Hezekiah's tunnel, the siege ramp at Lahish, the Assyrian wall reliefs and prisms, we categorically ignored the history recorded in the Bible? Yes, wouldn't that be unscientific? If we have all these different proofs of King Hezekiah and then we ignore what the Bible says about all that? Can't we just put the Bible and the science, the archaeology side by side and see where that leads us? Mr. Flurry writes, can you see how compatible the Bible and science are? Without science, one could easily consider the biblical account a mere myth. On the other hand, these relics of the past without the history recorded in the books of Kings, Chronicles, and Isaiah, could not alone provide the rich, detailed understanding of Assyria's invasion of Judah. You need the science to back up the account of the Bible and make it come alive. You need the Bible to give context to the science. They must work together. That is the value of biblical archaeology. That is why God's work is getting involved in this field and setting up a new institute in Jerusalem. Mr. Flurry writes, In archaeology, there is a lot of room for interpretation. Stones and ancient walls are inert and silent. They don't literally speak to the archaeologist unveiling their history. Ruins and artifacts must be interpreted. They need to be analyzed in the context of their surroundings and their time period and against the backdrop of other digs and finds in the region and across the nation. And in the land of the Bible, artifacts must be interpreted against the backdrop of the Bible. He's talking about letting the stones speak. Dig in the dust and see what it can tell you. Just uncover 
the artifacts and believe what the Bible says about those artifacts. Let the stones speak. There is great hope in biblical archaeology. And there is a passage here in Psalm 102 that I just wanted to finish with. Psalm 102, and this is talking about what God's work is doing over there right now. Psalm 102, verses 13 and 14. You shall arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time is come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.